shot that we got. All right? We're going to run the pink defense at them. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Picket Fence Podcast. In this episode, we're bringing you a Coach's Corner Quick Hitter and getting in the huddle with Coach Jim Shannon. Coach Shannon just wrapped up a 39-year coaching career, 25 of those coming at New Albany, where he led one of the premier programs in the state. Coach Shannon racked up 616 career wins, 13 sectional championships, three regional titles, a semi-state title, in a 2016 Indiana State Championship. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Well, hey guys, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Uh, it's an honor to be able to do this. Yeah, Coach, we're, we're really glad to have you. And, and yeah, you, just so you know, you are the first guest we've had here on the Pick and Fence podcast. Um, we're super excited to have someone with your resume and your accolades uh, join us. Um, and I'm uh, really excited. Did you say I'm first? Yeah, you're the first one we've had on. Did you say I'm Oh, my gosh. You got nowhere to go but up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I think we're going to have a hard time getting people that want to follow you. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Coach, we uh, as we said, you just kind of wrapped up a, a 39-year career. I know it's early. How's retirement treating you? Well, you know, actually, I'm I'm still teaching, obviously, right. and uh, I do driver's ed also. So my you know my driver's ed is probably anywhere from two to four hours a day. Wow. So I'm keeping pretty busy with that. So I'm not doing basketball. That's that's for sure. But uh, I'm keeping plenty busy. There you go. Is it harder to coach kids on the court or uh, in the car? <laughs> well, it's a lot more dangerous in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I have a little bit more control, though, because i got a brake and I can reach their steering wheel. So I feel pretty comfortable with it. <laughs> That's great. That's good stuff. So, Coach, uh, got a couple questions here for you. We'd love to, love to get to know you a little more and have our listeners uh, you know, get to know Jim Shannon, you know, what he was thinking on the sideline, and then, you know, kind of built your program up. So, if you don't mind, kind of tell us a little about your coaching background and what sparked your love for basketball. What got you started, you know, coaching in, in the game? Well, I, I, grew, I grew up in Anderson, Indiana. And so, you know, it was a hotbed for basketball. Uh, it still is, but, boy, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, that was, that was the thing to do. And the North Central Conference was incredible. And uh, so I've just, I've only known basketball since I was old enough to to remember, maybe five years old. And so, you know, I, I think by being an Anderson Indian back in those days, I went to Ball State, really missed it. And one of my old coaches said, why don't you come back to the high school and just volunteer? So when I was going to Ball State, I started driving back and forth and uh i helped out my junior and senior year of college with both the junior varsity who practiced a couple hours and then the varsity who practiced a couple hours it was two separate practice i know a lot of us practice together now but back then that was those were two separate practices so i did that for a couple of years and then 
uh, I coached the freshman for two years uh, as the head coach of, of the freshman. And then at 24, I left and went to North Decatur to uh, have my first head coaching job at a pretty young age. I did that from, uh, oh gosh, three years there, th- uh, five, let's see, six years at South Dearborn, five years at Lebanon, and then 25 at New Albany. So I've been to five schools, counting Anderson as an assistant, and then uh, as a head coach, I've uh, been to four. So that's kind of in a nutshell how it all went down. So I've, I've always just been around it and always loved it. And, you know, I, I feel really good about that, about being able to be at the places I've been and had the success that we've had. I feel very blessed because you know, I was just an average guy, you know, in high school. So I didn't see anything like this coming. Coach, that's awesome. Um, how do you like the practice breakdown? Did you prefer the JV going first and followed by varsity, or do you like the way that most programs do it now? Well, if you're a big enough school and you got that many talented players, it's okay. I think it's great. If, you know, I talk to my buddies at places like Carmel, and, you know, they practice separate. Well, they got a lot of kids, and you have to have a lot of kids. I mean, you got to have – you got to have 10, 12 kids that can go hard and make each other better. And then, and then you just send down another, you know, 10, 12, 14 to the JV. But we haven't had that luxury most places I've been. We, you know, we, we might have 18 to 22 in the whole program. So right. it's kind of, kind of tough to go practice, you know, 10 and leave your JV with eight. I, I don't, I don't think that does anybody any good. So I, I would prefer if we had enough talent and enough guys that uh, we were deep enough that we could do that. But, you know, with gym space and, and, you know, sharing gyms and the times and all that, you pretty much have to, you know, girls get it one day and boys get it the next kind of thing. Right. Um, when you were getting your start, not only at North at North Decatur, but um, once you were established, you know, places like Lebanon and New Albany, what were some of the, the foundations and principles that you wanted to implement in your program? Well, I, I wanted kids, you know, to, to come each and every day and, and just give the best of their ability. You know, if a kid misses a layup or an open shot, really try not to say much about that. I know we wince when it happens, but really try not to show body language when it comes to those kinds of things. I just wanted them to come each and every day giving their very best. And I just would not, could not tolerate anything less in terms of their attitude and effort. So I'd bench guys, yell at guys, do whatever with guys when their attitude and effort wasn't where it needed to be. But skill-wise, I really tried to learn over the years. Don't be mad at that kid that's not very good going left. Get him back in practice and get him going better left. Uh, Don't be mad at that kid whose shot hasn't improved because you haven't worked with him enough. You know, things like that. So, skill-wise, I really tried to, to not get on kids as much. Boy, attitude and effort send me through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I said, Coach, that's, that's great. I, I love hearing that. And so, you're talking about going to these different places and, and implementing these foundations and principles. Uh, how have you changed since you started, Coach? So when you when you first started out there as an assistant, then you end up in New Albany, and even the, the time you're at New Albany, what? How have you changed as a coach at, in that time? Well, I, I do think you have to uh, kind of pay attention to what's going on with kids, and 
it's really difficult, especially when you get as old as I am, it's really difficult to put their shoes on and understand what they're going through. But try really hard to do that and talk to a lot of, of guys who maybe aren't their age, but who are, you know, perhaps in their mid-20s to even mid-30s to just try to stay on top of things in, in terms of communication. And, and again, you, you really can't treat them like you treated kids in the 70s and 80s and even 90s. I mean, things have changed so much. And I think as a coach, you have to adapt to those changes. And uh, if you don't, I don't think you last very long. Uh, and I've tried to do that. I'm, I'm not perfect at it, but I certainly have, have tried to uh, roll with the flow, so to speak. And uh, I still, again, I still think it goes back to you got to expect them to play hard. My yes means yes. My no means no. Uh, there's right and there's wrong. But I have, I have understood that the, the gray area, as I've grown older, uh, has, has, I think that shade of gray has gotten more and more out there in terms of, you know, we don't just make blanket statements anymore. This is, you know, this is our rule. If you violate it, you're done. And, you know, things like that. I don't, I don't do that anymore. But uh, I certainly think that it's okay to have the same kind of uh, foundation, same kind of, you know, uh, rules, same kind of principles. I don't think any of that has changed. And I don't even think kids have changed as much as people like to think society has changed uh, and, and you know when society changes then automatically kids are going to change a little bit but I don't I don't I don't think it's as drastic a change as everybody thinks wow that's uh, completely you know yeah. with that, and I think uh, it's really interesting to hear you talk about adapting because I think something that maybe the coaches struggle with over time is, is adapting with the new kids or a new situation yeah um have you seen the, the high school game change um it, over your time like the the maybe the style or just the way it looks or just the feel of it as, as the game in indiana or just the game in your time changed over over the course of your career well i do think it i do think it changes i i don't think there's any question about that um you know you you'll see trends and a lot of it has to do with what's working uh, at the collegiate level um, you know, before the three-point line was, you know, even here, the game was different. Uh, when the three-point line came, why well, that obviously changed everything. Now, we don't have a shot clock, but can you imagine what it would do to the game if you did? I mean, it would, cha it yeah. would change it a little bit. Um, so I, I think when those kind of rules come in and, you know, the game filters down to us, I don't think there's any question. I think sometimes the NBA game filters down to the collegiate game. And then from there, it filters down to us. And so I try to stay on top of all of it and, and try to borrow from everybody and steal from everybody. But I do think that when you see things like motion offense was so big, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And, and there's guys that still run that and run it really well. It's difficult to defend because if, if they don't know what the, where their shots are coming from and you're scouting, you sure don't know where they're coming from. So <laughs> I, I do think I do think it's still, you know, out there. But, you know, then now we've seen what a plethora of pick and pop, pick and roll. I mean, my gosh, uh, ball screens are all over the place. Um, and, and so I think that we've had to learn to do that. You know, back in the 80s and 70s and stuff, the coaches that ran motion hated ball screens. They didn't want four guys around the ball. It felt like you could really defend it uh, if that happened. But as we've all found out, if you run it correctly, it's pretty hard to defend if you got your two best players involved in it. And you almost have to bring 
you know, a lot of help over to get it stopped. And uh, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, with, with great players, you got all kinds of options there in that. So when I'm looking at, at those kinds of trends, I think you have to roll with those kinds of things. But, guys, in terms of getting in a stance and moving your feet and getting your hands up and deflecting passes and getting a hand up on shooters and defending the post and stopping cutters and blocking out, I mean, golly sakes, this game's not – this game's not rocket science. I mean, it's been like that for years. But, yeah, there are trends and there are differences. But, by and large, I'll, I'll stick to the fundamentals on both ends and, and think we've got a chance. Well, and, and Coach, to look at, at current trends, to kind of talk about the NBA filtering down to the lower levels, um, this week the NFHS just announced that they're going to switch from the bonus being a one-in-one situation to now – the bonus will occur every quarter at five fouls, and it's automatic double bonus situations. Do you think that's a good move for the game at the high school level, or is that something that you wish would have stayed at the traditional, you know, seven fouls is the one and one per half, ten fouls is the double bonus per half? Well, I'll, I'll be darned. Maybe I got out at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Every time they do something, though, uh, older guys just cringe. I mean, we just cringe when, <laughs> but we, but you get used to it. You know, we didn't, I didn't like the three point line when it came out, and I love it now. So, <laughs> you know. yeah, you had some guys that utilized it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I, it's going to take me a while to kind of sit back. I, I read about it, but it's going to take me a while to to really decide if I like that yet or not. Yeah. And again, I'm the kind of guy that has to be out in it to really get a feel for how I'm going to feel about it. I'm not intellectual right. enough to sit back and say, well, I, I can analyze that and I'm going to hate it, or I'm going to analyze that and I'm going to love it. I don't yeah. know yet until I see some games and see. The strategy is definitely going to be different. I don't think there's any question. And I mean, just think about this. You're getting ready to go to a timeout. You're going to foul their, what you think's their worst shooter. He's going to be in the bonus, and you think you got a pretty good chance. Well, now he's going to get two shots no matter what, so – effectively he could probably hit one of the two the pressure's not going to going to be the same but i'm sure that they've thought it through and think it's best for the kids and for the game and we'll just have to wait and see yeah it sounded like just in reading the article because cam you sent it to me uh like they were trying to play it from a safety standpoint that they didn't want to have to have as many late half or late game fouling situations to try and clean some of that play up is how i read it yeah and, and i understand that if that's their, you know, their thinking, that's fine. Again, I, I see people, you know, come out and say, well, I've watched a lot of basketball. And, you know, I, I've never seen anybody get hurt on a one-on-one -on -one situation at the free throw line and, you know, things like that. But, again, I've not sat down and, and watched film and really even thought about that. You know, I watch yeah. a lot of film, but I, I've never really watched it with the, the purpose of saying, now, you know, is it getting more physical because of the bonus and because of free throw rebounding? I, I don't know. Uh, evidently, they've got uh, information uh, in their bank, or I don't think they would just come out and say that's why they did it. Uh, if that's what they did, then they must have the uh, they must have the stats to back it up. But again, hey, you know, I, I've said this for years. You can get mad about it. You can, you know, moan about it. You can do whatever you want, but guess what? This is what we're doing, so figure out a way to 
put it to your advantage. You know, there's right. no reason to argue. There's no reason to, to pout and argue and fight because you're not going to win. I, my friend's been wanting class basketball to go away ever since it started. <laughs> what? It ain't going away. It's it's here. Yeah. It's going to stay. And the three point lines here. Guess what? It's going to stay. And this new free throw thing's probably going to stay. And eventually, if they throw shot clocks in there, we're probably going to have to get used to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, coach, one of the things I like to discuss with with coaches across the the board is summer basketball. And obviously uh-huh. you're kind of in a different boat there at New Albany as far as talent-wise and things like that. Uh, but what what were some of your goals with the summer? What were you looking to to get out of, of the summertime there with, with your teams? Well, number one, I didn't want to burn our guys out or burn myself out. Because, guys, it's very easy to do that. Because June is a great time to get better. The offseason – it's a great time to get better. But, man, we're becoming so year-round that we're, we're very rarely not around our kids. And I just wonder, you know, when, back in the day, you kind of got separated from your coach for a while to the point where you kind of missed him a little bit. I'm not sure they miss us because we're never, we're never <laughs> not around them, you know? Yeah, think that's about, true. You know, I'm thinking about how many times uh, when you're in practice, weight practice now, 70-some times a year. A year during the winter, if you're if you're more successful, perhaps a little bit more. Think about how many times they've heard your voice just in that amount of time. And then what do we give them? What do we give them when the tournament's over? About three weeks, and we're back doing you know two a week. We're doing two practices a week in the spring. About used to be twenty. Now I think they're down to saying we can only do sixteen. So you're doing sixteen more spring deals, and then you're doing all of June. I mean, you probably. Now, I guess they've limited it now to, what, 10 days or a mile off? I think something like that, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. But but you're around them a lot. July is about the only time you get away from kids. They get away from you. You get away from basketball, get to see your family a little bit more. And then, what, middle of August? I think you're back into fall. Yeah. Two times a week you're practicing. So I don't know. Uh, we, we always had fun with it, you know. I've tended to do less with it than more. Uh, when, when, you know, 20 years ago, I was, if we weren't playing every day or playing 47 games, I thought I wasn't doing my job. And I think I was burning kids out just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I think, I think you just do what you think's good for your program. Don't look at everybody else and get in that weight room, work on their skills, work on relationships and, you know, building that and let them work together and get to know each other a little bit. And of course, set yourself up to play some teams that you're probably not going to beat and set yourself up to, to play some teams that you can build a little confidence that you should be and have some fun with it too. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But uh, yeah, I saw that limitation on, on uh, June things and I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. The, the summer I think is something that can go one of two ways for coaches and I, the approach that you're laying out there to me sounds like a recipe that works. Well, it, it, you know, again, different different people feel different ways about it, and I always respect what other people do, whether they do more than us or less than us or about the same. But, you know, I've seen, even, I've seen guys even not really coach their teams in the summer. They'll let the assistant coach coach them. You know, I, I never really did that. I was always afraid they wouldn't want me back. So <laughs> 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 I, I, they might figure out the assistant. 
assistant's a lot better than I am, so I didn't really want to figure that out. So I never really allowed that. But I see I see a lot of guys do that, and I, I think that that uh, I think that's a good thing, really, to to let them hear another voice and just kind of observe and sit back and shut your mouth for a little bit. I, I always had a hard time with that. <laughs> that's that's great, and that's um, that's great advice, especially for you know young coaches like Derek and I and guys that are listening. I think maybe. Sometimes the less is more approach when you're understanding the, the kids is, is great. Um, so kind of on that note with understanding your team and understanding the kids, I had a question about kind of a specific team and specific player with your program. So um, okay. you coach you coached Romeo Langford a few years ago. Uh, uh-huh. Very high prospect, Mr. Basketball. Uh, what's it like when you have a superstar like Romeo in your, in your program? And how do you have to adjust your system? Um, for, for something like that. I mean, I know you usually have really good players, but when you have someone that's nationally recognized like that, um, how, does that change your, your approach and, and how so? Well, basically what I did is I just asked him, well, what did he want to do? And we just did whatever he said. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm, just, I'm sure his teammates would tell you that's probably how it went, but uh, well, you never hear, you never hear Romeo. Uh, but, uh, seriously he worked hard um he led us in charges taken i don't think it was a lot it wasn't anything like providence you know i always tell ryan miller they take more charges in pregame than we do all season but uh but but romeo did lead us in that stat and you know i feel really proud that he's gone on to be one of the more prolific defenders in the nba because a lot of guys would knock his effort defensively, and I always thought he was a pretty good defender in high school. Yeah, probably not as good as he could have been because he had, to, you know, I had to keep him in the game. I couldn't get him in foul trouble. Uh, but again, he led us in charges taken. We always put him on one of the better players on the other team. Uh, he rebounded. I mean, his rebounding is unbelievable. Always kept the naturally always kept the ball above his head when he rebounded. Um, but. You know, all I did was give him freedom. I mean, that's the thing. And I try to do that with all the guys who, who have to kind of carry you. You have to give them freedom. And I, he had it. He had the green light anytime he wanted it. I never got on him for shot selection. He took a few bad shots. He didn't take many. But when he did, I still didn't say anything because I, I needed him to just keep shooting, not think about it. So I wasn't about to overcoach him. I did not. I tried to teach him. But I never overcoached him, and I didn't let any of our other guys overcoach him. We tried. He didn't know it all. He had stuff to learn. We put him through workouts. We, we, you know, he wasn't he wasn't perfect. He had things to work on, and uh, he always stayed after practice and worked on his game, so that helped. Um, but uh, no, what a great player he was, and what a great attitude he had, and it was just a lot of fun to to having those four years. It was rather stressful at times just because of all the things we had to do in terms of the media, uh, after the game, signing autographs, just all that came with it. It got to be crazy sometimes. But, hey, I can tell you this. We were we were 100 wins and 10 losses his, his four years, and we lost eight games a year after he left. I was ready for him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, that's funny. So did you, um, did you have to campaign – or did, did you got your program kind of have to campaign for Mr. Basketball for him? Is that necessarily how that works? You're talking about with your relationship with the media there with him, but is that sort of a thing you've got to, the program has to promote him, or is that sort of something he it just kind of works itself out? Well, I don't think a lot of people across the state knew about Roe. 
you know, early, early. But, um, you know, I, I can remember reaching out to some of the, you know, universities across the nation that perhaps didn't know about him, whether you want to call it Duke or Carolina or whoever. You know, so I tried my best to make sure they knew about him before he really became a name because I, I, I thought he was good enough to play anywhere. So I wanted them to know. So they, they came and watched him play. That's the only thing I did to kind of jumpstart the whole thing. But I, it's, it had nothing to do with me. I mean, it, his, his career just took off uh, after people saw his freshman year. I mean, coaches on the other team would say he's the best player on the floor right now, either team. And they were right. I mean, we go to we vote for things. You know, I was on the committee in Indianapolis that votes for, uh, you know, the top 15 in the state and the, all that underclassmen stuff and, and everything that, that's voted on by the IBCA. And guys were telling me the same thing when he was like freshman, sophomore. He's the best player in the state. So if guys know that he's the best player in the state as a sophomore, then I really don't have to push the Mr. Basketball thing. I did as best I could. I didn't want him to get overlooked. But, man, he had that. He pretty much had that thing sewn up. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, so uh, I can have another question about another former New Albany player. Just to sure. so, so my first New Albany game that I went to in person uh, was when you had a guy named Braden Hobbs. Um, and he was probably my favorite high school player that I've got to see in person. I love Hobbs. So I just wanted to know kind of your thoughts on coaching a player like that with just a high-level IQ like he had and just a true point guard. And, you know, he went on development and had such success. But I just kind of wanted, you know, to know what it was like coaching, you know, when you have a player, maybe he's not the superstar status quite like Romeo had. Uh, but uh, what, what was it like to have a player like that in the program? Well, I tell you what, Braden Hobbs was just a joy to be around. Now, he was best friends with my son and Matthew Lynch, who, you know, they ran around all together you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, whatever it was, played AAU together and, you know, school ball, just everything. So, you know, that I grew up in that time with my kids and, and those kids, kind of all the families, you know what I'm saying, right. all the AAU stuff. And I miss that because, number one, I think you get to know a lot of other kids too. And people want to come to your school. And then when your kids are grown and gone, I see that happening other places like, well, why is that kid not coming to our school? Why is he going over there? Oh, plays AAU with that guy's son. Oh, you know, and that's what's happening now. I mean, it's happening a lot and uh, a lot more than it used to. So I think as a high school coach, you got to get out and, you know, watch your own kids, not necessarily to recruit, but to recruit your own kids to stay at your school because they're leaving, they're leaving everywhere now. So I know that's off the, off the subject, but, uh, Going back to what you're saying, Braden was unbelievable. He was making all kinds of great passes in third and fourth grade. Like, we're like, oh, my God. He's making no-look passes and throwing it, you know, behind his head. Looked like Pete Maravich out there. And uh, we were just astounded at how gifted he was as a youngster. And we knew he was going to be pretty special. And then, of course, he just continued to grow and get longer and he always had that knack and that peripheral vision to, to see the whole court. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Romeo's the best player we've ever had. There's there's no disputing that. But, boy, I'll tell you what, Braden Hobbs could, could take a basketball team and make it look really good. And he did that for us. 
for the four years that he played, and then uh, went to Bellarmine and was their uh, obviously their uh, national uh, player of the year in Division Two, and then led him to a national championship. So, and now he's over in Germany, been playing over there forever, and he's what is he thirty four years old now, I think. So, uh, and still can play. So, Braden was an absolute joy. Um, I'm not sure I've ever had a player that fundamental and could do so many things with the basketball. And uh, I really miss him and uh, just some great times back in those days. But And, and I think probably the best passer I've ever had. Yeah, I would uh, have to agree with you that. He was pretty fun. Yeah, I think we'd both second, second those sentiments there. Uh, Coach, you mentioned kind of having to recruit your own, your own team, yeah. and we know that that's something obviously with – the current state of college basketball, that's a pretty big problem, but you know, the trickle down effect, like you spoke on earlier, that kind of always affects high school basketball with the current way that kind of the state system set up with dollars following the kid. Uh, does that make it more difficult for, you know, for a head coach at your, in your position to try and um, year in, year out, know what team you're going to have and, and what players are coming back? Well, I think that it's going to be a, a little bit of a problem for guys, I, I, obviously. But again, you're going to have to adapt to it because it's not going to go away. So I, you got to figure out, okay, what do I need to do different to make sure that the parents are, and the kids are happy? And I don't know. You know, us old school guys, that's Coach Hinton. Us old school guys, that's tough stuff, man, because you want to be a hard, hard enough on a kid to make him get better. You don't want to just be telling him yes Yes, 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 all the time. Right. Patting him on the back. Uh, you want to you want to help him get better, and sometimes you can't tell him everything he wants to hear, or the parents for that matter. And, and you're going to make him better. You got to be the guy that says, "Hey, no, that's not good enough." And if he gives you lip or attitude, and you sit, to, you can go over and sit down. Well, now I see that you know a lot of kids are saying, "Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'll just leave." <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is really. Uh, it's just a different era we all live in now, and uh, with the portal and college, uh, I've seen it filter down to high school. I mean, I don't think there's any question that we don't really have a portal per se, but I see a lot of kids changing schools, not just around here, but everywhere. Yeah, I think that's, I'm kind of with you, that's something that probably is not going to go away, and the quicker you adapt to it and can kind of adjust the way that you want to approach it, probably the better off you're going to be. I think you always have to, I think one of the things about coaching and maybe even parenting is you got to see things before they happen. you got to have, you got to have some preventative measures in place. Um, you, you, you know, it's like, it's like teaching a kid to drive, honestly. They, they just look, you know, just beyond the hood at 10 feet above, you know, in front of the car tires there in the front. That's all they look at. And I'm like, you have to see you know, 50 yards down the road, what's going on up there? What's going on on your left? What's going on on the right? Now, I want you to keep your eyes on the road, but you got to have a little peripheral vision. Well, it's the same thing with what we're talking about here. You got to kind of see where's this headed, and then you got to nip it in the bud. I mean, you got to figure out a way to not let it become a problem where you may lose a kid. You got to, you got to fix it. And uh, so that means you got to have your ears open all the time and your eyes open all the time. And maybe, like I said before, not talk quite as much, just kind of observe. And uh, maybe you can put the brush fires out well ahead of time. Um, because, that, again, I just think that's everything in life. But certainly with coaching now, the way that 
kids are changing schools. Yeah. Uh, Coach, you spent kind of the majority of your time of your career ranked somewhere in the top 20 in the state. Uh, What was kind of your approach in keeping your players focused when you were perennially highly ranked with high expectations and also having highly recruited players on your teams? Well, we never really much talked about standings and ratings and things of that nature. We, we usually, and, and we approached every single opponent and every single game the same. Now, I'm not going to say every once in a while when, you know, you had a game coming that you knew you were probably going to win by 50, and then you had a game the next time that it was going to be a nail-biter, that there wasn't a little difference. Sure. But honest sure. to goodness, there, there, I tried to make sure we did it the exact same way. So what we did the night before a game, we did it every single time. What we did, you know, day of a game <clears throat> on a Friday, every single time. What we did on Saturday, every single time. So, you know, if we met on Saturday morning to have a walkthrough, even though we were going to play that night, uh, we would do it. Now, did we ever say, okay, we got to travel to Carmel? Do we want to bring him in at 10 or 11 for an hour, send him home, bring him back in three hours? Sometimes we would not. We would let him sleep in and bring him in at 1 go through our, our uh, uh, walkthrough, watch film, scouting reports, and then get on the road. So we, I'm not saying we never did it a little different, because sometimes you have to adapt to uh, your travel situation. And then you, you guys know, if you play Friday night, that Saturday morning or Saturday prep is, I won't say it's useless, but it's difficult. Um, because you've prepped three or four days for that game on Friday, now you get an hour for the Saturday night yeah. game. And I, I always would have rather played Friday and Tuesday uh, to have the prep time for, especially if it was somebody that you, you really needed the prep time. Like you ever play in the summer and get beat, like just get thrashed <laughs> by somebody like you just showed up and played and I, somebody over in Louisville beat you 40 or 30. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. And, and I'm like, well, how, our press breaker, we had about 10 minutes to talk about it. Well, guess what? You're not going to break any press that, that's really good if you haven't been practicing against it. So I always felt like we needed those days because we're, we're really pretty cerebral in terms of scouting reports and going over their sets and understanding their tendencies. And if you don't get a lot of time to do that, I really think it hurts you if that's your approach. I would much rather, much rather just say sick them. I would love to play Sikkim basketball. <laughs> let's just go, let's press the heck out of them, run and jump, and just go beat them. That's my, that's my dream job. Uh, I've never, I've, I've never had one like that. Even when I had Romeo and those kids, we were really good and, and athletically superior to, to 98% of the people on our schedule. I know that. But we weren't really a pressing team. We, we really didn't have that kind of team. Uh, and I always thought that would be a fun way to play. Um, but I've never really been able to do that. And you have to really uh, give up a lot of control, and I'm more of a control freak, so I don't think I could do it. But I sure would like to try it once. (laughs) (laughs) So, Coach, uh, continuing on the the high expectations and and, uh, high recruited players in the program, looking at like the state tournament, when when you had teams into that 
What, what are your thoughts on some of the changes they've had with the regional and the semi-state format? They've kind of flipped it to where now it's one game for the regional title and two for semi-state. Um, I don't know, if, uh, you know, if, if that if you think changes anything too drastically, but uh, do you have any thoughts on that change? Well, I think it would have really benefited us, us back when, you know, when we were really having good teams and winning a lot. Um, I would have loved to have been able to say, you know, after winning one regional game, well, we made it to the semi-state again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, really, that really sounds good. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's tough to win those two regional games. I mean, they're tough. And uh, if you're lucky enough to do that, fortunate enough to do that and get to the semi-state, that's great for just the one game. But that semi-state game is always going to be – uh, you know, for all of us, that's always going to be one of those elite teams out of Indianapolis, usually, yeah. uh, at least in 4A. That's what it's going to be. And uh, that's always a tough one. But now, you know, that's really changed with just the one game regional. And, and then you might draw, you know, somebody that you're used to playing in, in you know, in, in your uh, traditional regional to get to that semi-state. But again, it really doesn't matter if you like it or not, because when they change it, that's what you're going to do. Right. And so I've just right. always said, you know, that's not really what I would like, but I'm going to try to see the positives of it, how it can benefit our kids, how it will benefit the fans and, and the travel and, you know, the geography of all of it. And if, if it's better, then that's okay. Let's, let's go. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I really am. Coach, you guys kind of played – a murderer's row, so to speak, one of the toughest schedules in the state on a year-in, year-out basis. Um, so you got to see a lot of different styles and a lot of different coaches. Were there any coaches or styles of play that kind of stick out that gave you more trouble than others throughout your career? Well, I got to be careful now. <laughs> I got a lot of guys out there that I really admire, and I, I, I hate to say names or programs, um, just because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Cause I, you know, there's a lot of great coaches and a lot of great programs, uh, people that were prepared, you knew when you went against certain teams, that dude is going to have his guys ready. They're going to know our stuff We're, everything we run. They're going to know it. Those are the teams that gave us, gave me headaches. Uh, when I had, we had talent that was, could overcome it. I didn't really care when you're mediocre talent or even less than that. Then I care because I, you know, I knew if they know every single thing we're going to do and we don't have the talent to overcome it, that gets at you. Uh, I always like playing. I always, uh, I always like playing the teams that uh, weren't as well prepared. Uh, that kind of thing. But I, there's really, I couldn't really pinpoint one, you know, one team or, or one coach. There's so many good ones. I've learned seriously from just about everybody I've coached against. Now, whether that be how he utilizes a timeout, uh, how he talks to kids, how he treats referees, uh, some of the sets that they run, how they run their defenses, I watch and I observe and I cheat, you know, all the time. By cheat, I mean I take their stuff and just steal it and use it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that they, because I guarantee you one thing, most of them didn't come up with them themselves either. I mean, you'd yeah. have to go back a long way to find somebody who invented a, a set play or who invented how to play defense. I mean, you, you're going to have to go back pretty far uh, or had invented how to shoot a free throw. Um, that's all been around for a long time. But uh, 
just to be able to take all that and, and utilize it the way you want for your philosophy and your program, you know, I've, I've said to kids and, and to my coaches all along, it's really not what you know, it's what your players understand. You can walk around and, and be a, a, a doggone encyclopedia of basketball. You can know A to Z. But if you can't communicate it to the kids or get them to do the, the few things you want them to do offensively, the few things you want them to do defensively and do it really, really well, then I don't care how much you know about it. I really don't. That, Go I think that's probably um, if we can if we can pull a quote out and, and just share with any any young coach that I think that's just gold. Um, I, I I can't imagine getting better advice than, than that right there, and, and that's that's fantastic. And it's it's fun to hear you say that you you steal things from each other coaches and learn things because I think that's something that um, it sounds like that that's the way to approach it is just continue to learn for as long as you're you're in it. I mean, you can learn from anybody. You really can. Uh, you can learn from a middle school coach. If, if, if you're willing to, to say to yourself, you know, you did not invent basketball. James Naismith did. Jim Shannon didn't invent it. And any other guy out there that's won championships or won a lot of games or whatever you want to say, he just didn't. And uh, you can learn from anybody. And, you know, I, I never have really understood the ego of it because – I've had my butt kicked so many times and so badly. I don't know how I could ever think that I'm that much better than anybody else. And so I, I've just always tried to, to, you know, come to each and every season, try to come with the same enthusiasm and passion as if, I, you know, this was my first year at New Albany instead of my 20th year at New Albany or whatever. And I, I think you have to do that. And that's why I think coaches don't stay in jobs very long because you – you need that, okay, I've been here five or six years, getting a little rusty. Uh, fans are a little rusty with me, getting a little irritated. Parents are irritated. I'm going somewhere else. And we do that. We just we just kind of bounce around, and it refreshes our battery. I mean, it re-energizes us. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, it's hard to stay someplace a long time. I, I'm most proud of, of my longevity at New Albany than I am in any other accolade that, that's been bestowed upon me. Just the longevity of surviving. Think about what you've survived in 25 years. How many people don't like you because you cut their son or you didn't play him enough or you didn't you yelled at him or you benched him or you didn't start him. I mean, my gosh, there's so much. And uh, it's amazing because, again, I, I, one of my friends once said, I said, buddy, you was only there about six years. He said, that. I tend to wear my welcome out. <laughs> it was a classic statement. I said, I just tend to wear my welcome out. <laughs> well, and we don't see guys that, that stick in a place like you said. You know, there's not a whole lot of guys who have 25 years tenure at, at no. one place anymore. And that certainly speaks to you and the quality of relationships that you built, I think, as much as anything. You know, because you're, you're operating at a much larger school than Cam and I are accustomed to with, you know, 24, 2,500 kids. So... You've got a lot more personalities to deal with and, you know, like you said, kids to cut and uh, certainly a lot more a lot more chance to get into, you know, some confrontation with parents, I'm sure. So uh, yeah. it says well, a lot about you. That. I've been lucky that way, honestly. Uh, New Albany is a great place. Um, man, I can tell you, this is, I know this is hard to believe, but I've probably had way less than 10 times I've had to sit down with a parent. Think about that. 
Yeah, wow. 25 years. I've been a couple places where I'm not sure we didn't have that many every week. But <laughs> honest to goodness, the it's it was my especially my first 22 years or so, it was not micromanaged at all, and um, everybody just did their part. You know, uh, it, it, the administration was just so good about you coach your team and you stay in your lane and we'll stay in our lane. If you mess up, we'll let you know. And uh, it was just, I mean, I was on, I basically had 25 one-year contracts. That's what I had. I only had a one-year contract every year. And uh, I, I, when I first took the job, I was a little reluctant because most places I've been, you've usually signed a two- or three-year, had some kind of rollover at some places. But at New Albany, it's you don't even really, it's just year to year. And uh, But they're amazing people there, absolutely wonderful people. A lot of them are gone. I've, I've stayed so long that most of the, you know, the older guys, so to speak, they've all retired and, and moved into other things. Some have passed away, you know, that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint of being able to uh, come in and, 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 you know, the, the administration that hired me, they were, they were unbelievable, just unbelievable. Coach, that's great to hear. And I think that's just, that's great to hear. Like in today's, you know, kind of, uh, kind of the era we're in in basketball with guys jumping around so much. And I think that that's just an awesome thing to hear. And, uh, uh, you have a lot of respect from both of us, uh, in that regard of staying there so long and just developing those relationships. And that's, that's just, I, I can't express enough how, how great that is to hear that from you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Coach, we, we got a couple more questions for you here. Sure. Um, so you're talking about being a, you know, being a thief and taking things from people or having, you know, these things. Um, we may do that a little bit here right now. I'm curious, do you have any favorite, you know, uh, late game quick hitters or a favorite place you go to in a tight situation and have anything like that? I know we can't maybe draw it up, but maybe you could, you know, describe or talk with us a little bit. Do you have any of those things that were your, you know, your go-to is kind of your old reliable plays? I'll tell you one of the things that, that we always like to do um, was look for that kid that's coming in the game whose coach is just, you know, screamed at him. Well, now you guard 11, and he better not touch the ball. You know, one of your players has obviously been doing really well, and the kid guarding him can't guard him or has done a poor job. That's my favorite. <laughs> so we, we, we watch for that, and we just run backdoor play on that kid because you know daggone well – that kid's up in the grill. I mean, he is up on, you know, coach told me he doesn't touch it, and I'm not going to let him score. That's the one I love to run backdoor plays on. I always have. I think it's just, you know, and it's it's understandable. A kid wants to do a good job, and but you got to run. And we got, you know, there are any number of running backdoor plays. There's all kinds of them. I've, I, I, every once in a while I run into one I hadn't seen, but I've seen a lot of them. And they all work, if, you know, just like all plays. They work if they're executed. Uh, it's it's fundamentals. It's timing. It's fake passing. It's bounce passing. It's uh, you know fake high go low. It's cutting hard, but having timing on your cutting. Uh, sometimes it involves a screen that has to be set. You know, where a screen where you actually touch somebody on the other team, not a screen where you just <laughs> run by. Uh, we have a lot of run bys. No, I would like to see you plant your body on that guy and lay him out just once. Not anyway. That's a pet peeve of mine. But yeah, I, the back, just just that real energetic kid. That's been one of my favorites over the years. And, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, it works. 
they come in there, they get in that stance, and they're all up in them. And, oh, my gosh. Overplay City. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's awesome, and I, got, I, I mean, I have to steal that one now, Coach, if you don't mind, because that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Coach, uh, before we let you go, uh, we're gonna we're gonna throw a couple fun, just rapid fire questions at you, just for fun to wrap up. If that's okay with you, sure, that that would be fine. I might hesitate on my answer. <laughs> we, do we have a second set? Do we have a second seven second delay on here? <laughs> yeah, hey, we got we got a ref count. You got five seconds before you got to you know start your dribble again. Hey, there's there's no shot clock around here, Coach. You're good. Yeah. yeah. And we're not live, right? Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, okay, so, Coach, a couple fun questions just based on some things we've kind of, uh, you know, we've kind of uh, talked about in the podcast here before. So, first one here, do you have a, a best player you've ever coached against or a, a player you've been really, really concerned with going into the game that maybe intimidated your team or you really, really had to prepare for? Uh, the Trace Jackson kid was, if I get the name right, sometimes I'm terrible with names, uh, but the young man that uh, had been at Indiana University. I'm really, really concerned about how to prepare for him. Yeah, that's a great one, for sure. Uh, did you have a favorite player growing up? So you're growing, uh, you're growing up there in Anderson, Indiana. Maybe it's an Indiana high school player or a player you saw at the pro level. Who was your guy growing up, uh, a player that you really admired or you know looked up to at a younger age? Oh man, I would I would have to go back to the uh, to the the Celtics. John Havlicek, I love John Havlicek, uh, and that's going way back. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Honda, that's a great that's a great answer there, Coach. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, for sure, Coach. Uh, last week we did a, a fun little countdown where we kind of discussed our favorite basketball movies. Do you have a favorite basketball movie that you like? Um. <laughs> The new one, Air. That's my new favorite now. Oh, the the one about uh, Michael Jordan and the Nike shoes. Yeah, it's unbelievably good. I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. honest. That's that's a a great movie. But prior to that, what would what would be considered where you'd really have time to think about all the greats that, that have been out there? Uh, Hoosiers for sure. I loved Hoosiers. No question about yeah. that. And I, I liked. Uh, oh. I'm, what was the old chips? Was that what it was called? Uh, yeah, one they made. Yeah, blue chip. Blue yeah, chips. that was very good too because that was a shot in uh, Frankfurt at the uh, at the Hot Dog Arena. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, that that's probably off the top of my head. Yeah, you kind of, you named our two favorites there yeah. from uh, last week's episode: Derek Love, Blue Chips, and Mindless Hoosiers. Yeah, I think those are about as good as you get for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Shoot, well. Coach, I'll tell you what we have we've consumed probably enough of your time at this point. Uh, can absolutely not thank you enough for stepping on here with us and having a conversation, answering questions, and letting us get to know you a little bit, the ins and outs of, of what was your coaching career and what was a highly successful coaching career. So um, immensely, immensely thankful. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Derek. Appreciate you, Cameron. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask me who my favorite musician was, because I get made fun of a lot for it. So I'm glad you didn't ask that. Well, now you can't leave us. <laughs> yeah, now we that. have to ask. I'm a big fan of the tenor, Andrea Bocelli. You guys don't even know who he is. Hey, he's got a show in Louisville coming up. 
Yeah, December 2nd. Guess who's already got tickets? <laughs> <laughs> 11 rows on the first aisle. Yeah, that's me. It, it, it only it, counts I've, if I've you get... Only counts if you go the VIP route, Coach. You got to be backstage access. Nah, heck, I don't. I don't even think he has that. His tickets are already high enough, but he's unbelievable. And uh, to hear, he's just so talented. And you know, he uh, he was uh, he was blind as a child. He he had a degenerative you know disease or whatever in terms of his seeing. He wasn't totally blind, but then he got. He was a goalie in soccer, and he got hit with a soccer ball. And that, that right there, when I think he was maybe 14, 13, 14, and that blinded him completely. So I think his story is unbelievable. He's a tremendous person. I've read his book, and um, he's just a great guy and a, a Christian man and has overcome a lot. And he's very, very talented. Uh, he's Italian, of course. and uh, But to, to be a blind man, though, and be as successful as he's been, and to sing the way he does, it brings tears to your eyes. And like a friend of mine said one time, you don't even know what he's saying. You go, man, I, you don't have to know what somebody's saying to enjoy music, man. It's spiritual. You just don't understand. You just don't understand it. So hey, this- yeah, they get on they get on me a lot for for my you know my picks in music. But I'm telling you, man, the dude is unbelievable. Hey, we're we're Planet Fitness. This is a judgment free zone, coach. We don't judge on musical choices. You can. Be a fan of whomever you want to be. Hey, I'm, yeah. I'm probably I'm probably adding it to our uh, team's pregame playlist. We're probably warming up to him starting next season. Uh, I think when you cross the I think when you cross the 600 win threshold, you're allowed to listen to whatever you want without judgment too. So, <laughs> well, I can tell you this: in PE, when we're boomboxing the the music, I don't play it. I, I those kids, I'd have to run for the doors. They'd chase me right out of the gym. I don't even try. <laughs> But yeah, boy, when I'm alone or in the car, it's it's full go. But I don't think there's anything like him. I mean, I think he's unbelievable, and I can't wait to go uh, December second of uh, of next year at the Yum Center. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. But you got to have other things in life that you like, you know, besides basketball. And uh, certainly for me, I you know I've worked on my Christianity now since 2013. I I just think that you've got to be able to. Uh, Focus yourself on, on things that are meaningful to you. And, you know, the Lord has blessed me uh, even when I didn't deserve it. And uh, so I, I enjoy church. I enjoy my walk, enjoy my family, and I enjoy Bocelli. And then I enjoy ba- then I enjoy basketball. <laughs> well, Coach, we have certainly enjoyed this. And um, this, again, very thankful and appreciative and humbled that you decided to take the time and you were willing to join us. It's always wonderful to have the opportunity to talk with younger guys, and I wish you guys the best in your careers. And It's a fascinating profession that we're in. You all keep it going and stay positive, and uh, it'll, it'll, you'll reap a lot of awards for, or a lot of rewards for what you put in it. So you reap what you sow, and I uh, wish you all the best. If I can never help you, just holler at me. Will do, Coach. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, thank you, guys. See you, Coach. All right, bye-bye. Well, Cam, um, you know, once again, looking at that that conversation, big, big, big thank you to Coach Shannon uh, for jumping on with us and giving us the the time and that interview there. Um, Insightful, uh, hilarious, and um, took away more from that than I ever, ever thought I would have. Absolutely. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of just telling you as we're sitting here talking about it, 
Every single thing he said is just gold. Uh, I mean, if you're a young coach listening to this, if you're somebody looking to get into this, or a coach that's experienced, I, I can't imagine you could learn more from an, an interview with someone than that. Uh, coach Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. We're so thankful to have you bring your wisdom on here and, and just kind of share it with us. I, it's great. Yeah, this, is, this has been the Coach's Corner Quick Hitter inside the huddle with Coach Jim Shannon. For Cameron, I am Derek. And as always, the Pick a Fence podcast, don't get caught watching the paint dry.